Hi, welcome back to the Galena Ravina podcastina. Thank you so much, as always, for joining. This week's episode I'm really excited about. I spoke with my friend, comedian Todd Dorham. He's someone who, the entire time that I've known him, has always been very involved in various social causes and different charities. He helped me last Christmas connect with um, an organization in Mexico that connects children to... Uh, people that are going to help out and buy Christmas gifts and just help the families in general. And so I wanted to have him on so that he could tell me a little bit more about his work and so that he could provide a couple of resources um, for anybody that's looking to get involved in either social justice or if you want to volunteer, if you want to work with children. He's just incredibly knowledgeable and has a wealth of resources as far as um, programs like Big Brother, Big Sister and uh, one that he told me about called achildshopefoundation.org. I'm going to provide some um, resources in the show notes as well for anybody that hears something throughout the episode that they want to get involved in. Anyway, it was just a really great conversation and, you know, we get into fostering children and what that could mean to the lives of those children. And and it's just like a very, you know, it's a heartfelt, it's a heartwarming conversation. It was so nice to have it with Todd. He really knows what he's talking about with this stuff. So please enjoy the episode. So I have to address even, I'll I'll probably put the video of this up because I'm enjoying it so much, but tell me about this San Francisco Zoom background because I forgot that I haven't been on Zoom in like a a couple months. Did you know you have it? Here's what's really happening. I did know I have it and and I just changed it because quite frankly, my... uh, my house is not as decorate, decorated as I would like, um, <laughs> but but I am I am fancy in one aspect. I bought a new bed and a new frame that's remote control. So what? if you put the video, watch this, watch this. Oh hey, oh. hey everybody, <laughs> I'm good night. It's good. His, his bed frame is moving up and down like. like that just reminds me of when uh, my grandma was always in the hospital because that's what the hospital beds would do. I love going on to podcasts as a guest and being being likened to someone's grandmother <laughs> within the first two minutes. That's an <laughs> ideal situation for me. I mean, I didn't know that you could buy a full-size bed that did that. Hey, and I didn't know your grandmother was that was that as hip as I am. So I think <laughs> I think we're both learning today. Um, she, she was a cool lady, and I only compare her uh, to people out of love. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it, it was the whole the whole thing was less than a thousand bucks. I got a super I got a bro deal. Nice. From my buddy uh, Kendrick. Uh, but yeah, like I'd just sit upright, and the knees the knees pop up too. So. Oh. Yeah, I'm on laptop and I do a lot of work here and it's comfortable mm-hmm. and it's efficient and probably ergonomic or whatever that is. I, I, I love that. I feel like I would not get out of bed for very much at all if that was my situation because I would be like, look, I can just do everything from right here. It's it's it makes the work work life balance from home very convenient. <laughs> that's amazing. So then, does that have to have because I'm assuming it's the bed frame that's moving? So there's like a special mattress that goes with it. You know the mattress is special. It it uh, it rolled out. It was like vacuum sealed, and then it it uh, aired out for a couple of days, and I laid on it. And let me tell you, pre- previous to this new mattress, I was spending like a couple hundred bucks a week on like um, people, physical therapists, and all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff for my lower back. Turns out that if you sleep on a terrible mattress for ten, twenty years. You're going to end up with back problems. So literally in a couple months, uh, my, my back uh, got better. And now I can squat and deadlift and all the stuff I like to do. Isn't that fun? Isn't that a That's fun phenomenal. thing? phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, I guess intuitively I understand that a bad mattress is bad, but I didn't know that a good mattress could just 
turn it all around. Yeah. And I'm what you'd call a dumb person. So if I didn't put those two and two together after that long amount of time and it takes one mattress salesman to help me out with that, then, you know, I deserved all the pain I I was going through. Stop. No. (laughs) Mattresses are one of those things that you don't really consider, though, because as people, we can get used to literally anything. Yeah. And it's just not like a day-to-day. And I know for me, I only think about my mattress if I'm moving. I don't even think about it getting on it every night. It's just the last thing on my mind. Yeah. And now that we're on the subject of moving, that's just a crippling ridiculous terrible thing that anyone has to do i know i it's horrible. I, I haven't done it in a long time i'm in a rent control place so i've been in the same apartment for seven years but i'm at my wits end with it so uh, while i'm not actively looking i know that sometime in the not so distant future i'll be moving in again and for some reason one of my least favorite things about it is that i have just like this fear that i'm not getting all my mail because i keep getting mail from people who used to live here still and I don't know what it is I'm waiting for that's giving me so much anxiety. Like, you know, it's not like I have a husband who's away at war and he's going to send me letters to the wrong address. But I have just like a crippling fear of moving because I'm like, what if I don't get my AT&T bill or whatever? That That is a, such a, a legitimate fear, you know. Um, and but let's let's bring ourselves back to wartime or just any time before electronics or electricity. Mm-hmm. If somebody moved, that person might as well have been dead. Yeah. Because you don't know anything, period. It's no. just, the, is a horse and buggy going to track them down at some point? Like, if they left your life at any point, then that was just, that was a death moment for them. And that, that was it. That was it. That, and, and I think that's why people didn't smile in photos until like 1926 or something. That or, and I'm, this is me being dumb and having my dumb moment, but I've been under the impression that those old timey photos where the photographer has to get under what looks like a curtain or just like a large lady's skirt or something when, when they had to go under that thing. I thought that you had to stand still for just a very long time, that it's like a long exposure. And so nobody wanted to be grinning for that long. So they just like stood solemn because that's the expression they could keep. I could be wrong. I'm talking out of my ass here. Listen, that checks out pretty well, and people are jovial, but they're not jovial enough to hold a smile for 10 straight minutes, Yeah, if, if that's what you needed to do. So mm-hmm. I, I that checks out. And th- the idea that people wouldn't be just, like, internally happy before 1926, I think, <laughs> is a bit of a stretch on my half. So let's take your story versus mine. <laughs> I feel like Wait. we're um, coming up on some sort of, not not anniversary, because obviously things are very different, but I can't help but to think about, like, the Spanish flu and how we just came out of, like, the next biggest pandemic after that, and that yeah. it was almost exactly 100 years ago, and I'm like, is this just going to be its own, like, roaring 20s, because that's kind of what people are saying, that, like, now everyone's going to run out and spend all their money, and that we've all, like, lost so much being cooped up for a year, and... I, don't, I am kind of feeling that vibe when I go out these days. Oh, yeah. People are popping bottles like it ain't no thing. And people are, I, I went to the airport and it was just a bustling with human beings. Mm-hmm. And, and people are renting cars and going to hotels and really going, going for it. So, yeah, I think there's going to be a massive uptick. But can we also just talk about how wildly unempathetic our entire country is? Like, oh. it, it is remarkable how it you people are being bribed with lottery tickets lottery winnings beer they're being bribed with beer and donuts to get vaccines now listen Mm -hmm. that vaccines are not for everybody i get that i totally i was actually not wanting to get vaccinated myself Mm -hmm. um but i was like "Eh, i don't want to risk killing anybody so let me just get this damn vaccine and off we go You would think everybody would have that thought at the bare minimum, but then I can't say that anymore because all I saw all year round, like, it was just so hard to not be disappointed in so many people, and I would get so triggered when I would, like, go to the grocery store at the height of it, and somebody had their mask down, and people, the the whole mask war, and the fact that it was a debate, and it's just so easy to be 
put a piece of cloth over your face if you're protecting people. It's just so easy. And the amount of people that were just adamantly, like, against it. Yeah. Beer, donuts, and lottery tickets in Mm -hmm. order to get a vaccine. I just take a deep (laughs) breath and say to myself, self, what's going on? Anyway, so that's that's the, the pandemic update from my end is me being absolutely taken aback that people have to be bribed with beer in order to get a vaccine. That's wild. I know. I couldn't wait to get it. I uh, was like, every week when they were announcing new tiers of eligibility, I was like sitting there like, come on! <laughs> traveling freak <laughs> just waiting desperately for them to like release my category but my day job is just so niche that it kind of never really happened and eventually I was just like well you know they're saying people in quote unquote transportation can go get it and I'm a mobile notary and I was like it's it's better for everyone if I get it because I was just like entering clients houses the whole entire oh, yeah. year and I'm like, I'm protecting a lot of people. You know, I got to do my part here and I got to stop worrying about it myself. Oh, completely. Yeah, I I work with boys who they're, they live with their 86-year-old great-grandmother. Wow. And I was like, I was like, yeah, not going to be killing her anytime soon. So let's just go ahead and get this vaccine, shall we? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Great. So, so what is this... Uh, work is is this related because i wanted to talk to you about um your activism and how involved you are and i feel like 20 different things honestly every time i talk to you it's a it's a new amazing project that's going on but let's find a starting point is that related because i when you say boys and you say great grandparent i'm imagining a child yes yes definitely and kind of you to think of me in that regard um i have been blessed immensely to have worked with children in foster care for almost 10 years now. And wow. yeah, um, we're, we're, I'm, I'm getting close to my almost 10 year, um, little patch. I think I'm at either every summer, uh, there's a group of people from my church and I who go down to Royal family kids camp. And this camp in specific is a week long camp. That is a full intensive in the sense of like, you're not going back to a hotel. Everyone, uh, the, there are camp leaders who mm-hmm. like each each leader has two kids they stay in the cabin with with the kids or with an extra person um there's two adults to every child so oh, and there's awesome. a, there's always two two adult eyes on one kid so it's called mm-hmm. too too deep for the safety of the kid for the safety of the the adult mm-hmm. for everyone's for everyone's benefit and this camp uh changed my life in the sense of i got to experience um, what children of foster care go through from the standpoint of trauma mm-hmm. and, and how that materializes in their life. Uh, and then once you, once you see it in, firsthand, there's nothing you can do aside from continue. At, at yeah. least that's, that, that was my experience. And that's a lot of experiences from most people. Mm-hmm. So then what happened from there is I got into mentoring, which is a, um, it's been just a massive blessing to to know that you know I, I'm I'm not married I don't own a house um, but w- the one part that I can do is just to give give a little time every once in a while as best I can and stay connected and that has led me into the lives of uh, three brothers and then now one of their friends that we all uh, we get together very often at this point. Um, and I've been with them in specific for about five years. So, uh, yeah, these are my guys. They're like, I don't know. I, I love them like anybody would love their kids. Yeah. And, um, it's a, uh, it's a whole population group that we can talk a lot about. Yeah. I would love to get in that. Um, I do so much, uh, and it's just selfishly personal work on myself, but I read a lot about like childhood trauma and, yeah the importance of like those formative years, zero through seven. And I read this book probably four years ago called um, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog. And heard about this. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's heartbreaking. You're crying just every page. Um, But it really highlighted for me just how critical 
those early years are and how like this butterfly effect happens when children don't have a good foundation and don't have that like conditional unconditional love coming in from somewhere and they don't have a support system just how fast things can untangle so to know that there's these foster programs and that people like you are involved in them it's just like oh what a relief that's giving these children a chance because you know, none of us can help who we were born to, what kind of circumstances we're born into, but it's like, they're here. These kids are here. We need to do what we can for them. Correct. Absolute. They're here. And not only, not only that, but to me, it is a, a great, uh, spiritual privilege to, mm -hmm. to work with them. Um, you know, in the old Testament, in the Torah, you have, uh, Moses was adopted. One of the most central figures of the old Testament was adopted. Uh, then you have Jesus, uh, had a stepfather in, mm -hmm. in, um, in, in, uh, oh my gosh, how am I forgetting it? <laughs> Joseph. Why was that so hard? And I'm um, like, don't look at me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my, my service to this population is as a result of my belief in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't have to be the key driver for everybody. But I feel like if you do profess Jesus as your savior, it should be because he specifically asked for it. He said to look after the orphans and look after the widows as two key, uh, population groups that will absolutely be compromised by the world. Mm -hmm. And we see that on a daily basis. We see it in the statistics from what happens, uh, when, when there is no family structure in place. Um, it's just, it's just tough. I mean, some of the just glaring stats are like when, when children age out of the foster care system, it's about 50%. I've heard that stat that become, um, unhoused. Yeah. It's either, it, it's one of the three categories. You're either unhoused, you have a run in with the law in a meaningful, it, it, not a meaningful way, in a way that could potentially land you in jail or prison, or you have some sort of a, a, a substance abuse. But 50%, I mean, that is... a jarring figure. That's one out of every two. It's jarring, it's brutal, it's real, and it does not take much but time, energy, and love in order to try to reshift some of those trends. Right. If you, if you think that uh, a child that has never had childhood, early childhood education, I mean, look, my brother and my sister-in-law, they were reading to my nephew in the womb. In the womb. Wow. Okay. So, and, and, and this child is a monster. He could read, he could talk. This guy's, <laughs> this guy's asking me questions. I'm like, bro, don't be in my personal business like that. <laughs> You're you like, know? I'm just trying to lean back in my mattress. Yeah, exactly. I got a hair to grow here. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, his, his um, ability to speak, his ability to communicate, speak for himself is a colossal advantage. Versus a young child who, through no fault of their own, mm -hmm. did not have those same those same skills, and and now you're you're going to enter them into a household. Now, not every household is like this. The foster parents, but some of them, and I've experienced this, and it's very tough to watch. The foster parents are looking at the children for a potential retirement money, mm -hmm. and and they might have more children in their household than is, than is probably safe or or healthy. Uh, so now they just exist in this house. Mm -hmm. They're not getting love. They're not getting attention. And they're just existing. And, you know, the easiest entry, the easiest point of entry for any person to get involved is mentoring. Then you have fostering. Then you have adopting. But everyone's got a weekend. If, you're, if your child is bored, a foster child is also bored. Mm -hmm. And the difference between the two is the foster child might go into vices that, that exist in their area. And those vices, uh, you can do the math on some of those and they're not good. And they're scary and they're real and you can help to, uh, uh, deviate those threat potentials simply by showing up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And these are children that have not been shown up for up to that point. I mean, that's how they end up. I mean, you know, not to generalize, but it's yeah. like, how does a child end up in foster care? Yeah, well, uh, not, I, I don't want to tell the story of my boys in case they, you know, find this, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I'm proud of them for even 
for any any level of success, get, they might listen to this one day. Whatever, you know, I can share this and I can talk with them about it. But you know, their um, their grandmother has been in and out of uh, prison. Uh, if you ask me, and in reality, she's a, a target of the war on drugs, um, which is which was predominantly a war waged on black and brown people in this country. So not to give her an out for having her own choices in life, but, but it um, matters. It's a factor. It, it does matter. It is a factor. And I also know that it was not waged in the same way on white folks. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. So if she, if she, you know, if she wasn't in uh, prison or halfway houses, she might've been able to take care of them. But as it stands, the 86 year old great grandmother, who was a byproduct of vicious Jim Crow South, um, brutality, mm-hmm. uh, and she fled that to Los Angeles, which is where she lives right now. Um, her upbringing was so. W- w- when people talk about liberty and justice for all, I just want to laugh until all of the laughter escapes from my body and I just levitate into the atmosphere because it's just a laughable statement that we're pledging allegiance to, and the, which is a whole other subject. And I bring that up in specific to the case of the great-grandmother who, as a child in elementary school, was made to pick cotton on all the days that were sunny, and she could only go to school on days that were raining. This is within the last century. Absolutely. She's 86, so her entire elementary school education consisted of this. So I would like for anyone on the planet to try to tell me if their white grand great grandparents had to experience this, mm-hmm. okay. So so now, she's the primary caretaker of my boys. Her education consisted of her picking cotton. For the most part, once again, except for when it was it was raining. Mm-hmm. So she did not have the same level of reading comprehension that anybody else would have enjoyed, given the color of their skin. Right. Okay. So now back backtrack to, she's a product of that level of systemic racism. Her mother, or then their grandmother, is the product of the war on drugs. And the the mother happened to be paralyzed when the boys were. Um, she was a quadriplegic when the boys, the the twins were, I think, uh, a few months old. And so she was never able to take care of, of the children. Mm-hmm. So the great grandmother is the only person in the family to, to, to step up and take care of them. And at the time she was 72 years old. What are we talking about? Yeah. You know, so this is, this is not a, I wouldn't say their story is very, it was, it's uncommon in that lineage. Sure. But, but, but not the but, fact that there is a lack of opportunities just across the board. Across the board, and also a lack of people willing to step up and a be a foster parent and or have that level of long term commitment for these kids. Mm-hmm. A lot of kids in foster care are bouncing from home to home, and you know why they're bouncing from home to home? Because they're taking their own trauma from having to go from home to home into their into the experience and, and relationship of the new house they're going into, mm-hmm. and sometimes that's that's pretty tense. Yeah. You have a lot of patience to deal with some of these kids. And sure. not every foster parent wants to have that because some of them are just in it for money. And so they'll just kick them right back out in the next couple of days and there's nothing that the system can do. So it's, it's this wild so cycle. It can be. That's not always the case, but it can, that certainly can be the case. And, um, there, there, there can be, we've had children come into our camp and this is just, when you see that where the rubber hits the road on this kind of stuff, you just really shake your head. You go, wow. Like some of these kids are 12. At, that's the oldest in this specific camp. And they've been to, they've been to like between five to 10 homes at that age range. Wow. And they're like, and they're like taking food from the cafeteria and putting it in their pockets because they don't know when they're going to, they're going to eat next. We had, we had a, ca- a cabin that was overrun with ants because a, a kid was just taking, taking food and just, and just putting it back into the cabin, just hiding it. And just really, really human instinct level reactions to just, just fight or flight moments that, that they're put into. And it, right. it's, um, it's very, um, it, it, it makes for a wonderful opportunity to, to, to love these, these children in a way that they've never been loved before. 
Yeah, it's really unfortunate how, and I get it given the circumstances that there's probably not enough foster families and that with any kind of government agency, the bar is going to be a little bit low on the types of people that they're accepting to take home these foster kids. When it's like, ideally, you would hope that it's someone who not only is like very capable of assessing the child's actual needs and meeting those needs, but also has some kind of skill set to bring to the table that could then help those kids. Cause at the end of the day, any of that behavioral issues that they're bouncing around from house to house because of these behavioral issues, those are arising from their most basic needs not getting met. And somebody right. that had some kind of like background and understanding of that would be able to approach it a little bit differently and maybe have the type of patience to like work through that because children are resilient. Like if people would take the time to understand and to nurture and to try to like undo and granted you can't undo trauma, but to at least like take it on for what it is and you know, work with these kids and be like, this is not a lost cause. I'm not just going to bounce this child out of my home. Then they might actually have a chance to get out from under it. And like, who knows how amazing these kids will turn out. Yeah. Absolutely. You make such great points in terms of who is it that's receiving the child to begin with and what's their motivation and how capable are they to handle those problems? Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, you have the individual family or a single person who is fostering. And, you know, if that person is doing it because, like I said, I've, I've seen a lot of, of, uh, foster parents that are just, they just generally are doing it for the money. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get a lot of patience and empathy and love and all the things that the child needs that you're just not. Um, and then let's just say on the alternative, you might have a situation like a group home. There are state run group homes. And then there's privately run group homes. Those two are completely not the same. I can't imagine that either are great. Yeah, well, in some cases, the private group homes are really fantastic because they're run by people who start them with the empathy, with the, uh, unlearning trauma, with the social, emotional welfare, uh, curriculums. There's, there's specific criteria that you have to have in order to live there. Like you, you have to go to this curriculum. You have to learn this different skill. You have to go to this different class. So they learn, they can learn structure, but. A lot of group homes, once again, you start, um, you know, introducing alpha mentalities and, 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 uh, expressed trauma. Uh, those things can get very tough. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, which is just so different in our, in our country, country who is, you know, indivisible and, and uh, we believe in God or a Judeo Christian country. And yet we have, and yet we don't treat foster children. In foster care in the same way that even uh, children in, in Mexico, for example, mm-hmm. where they, that's a religious space. They do that on the kindness of their heart. And that's you and I, uh, we had a, a gift donation last Christmas where, uh, you know, a couple of Facebook posts. The next thing you know, we had probably a couple dozen people just through you, my sister, myself, mm-hmm. uh, donating to uh, one specific orphanage in Mexico. Yeah, so, and I'm so glad that you brought my attention to that because I'm so ADD and like I want to participate in things. I just feel like I, I never know where to start. So I was so glad you posted that because I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want to be doing right now. Yep. And that's that's what I wanted to say is, you know, we started the conversation from the standpoint of it can feel daunting and negative mm-hmm. given the magnitude of the problem. But what I have learned in my quote unquote activism, because I am a absolute novice and a small child in the field of some of the people out there that are doing the Lord's work. But in my minor area of the world, I've learned that all you have to do is give people a tangible opportunity that they can act on in a way that doesn't have a lot of barriers for entry. Yes, absolutely. Because so many things that I've tried to sign up for, even something like Habitat for Humanity, I got so overwhelmed at the application that I bailed because I was like, "This, I don't know anybody that's done this before. I don't know how to like get through it. Like, I'm that person that needs a very small barrier to entry. Yeah. So I know there's people like me that are in that same boat of like, well, I want to do something. What can I do? Yep. And then, and then the bigger, the bigger issue there is, you know, it, it, I think everybody has an activist within us because we all have things that we believe in mm-hmm. and we have, we, we have things that are bigger than ourselves. We don't operate on a daily basis 
truly selfishly, that would be a, this. Our our world would be a total hellscape if that was the case. Right, and so, selfishly, when you give back, it actually feels really good, and you get your own like hits of dopamine and oxygen, correct, and whatever. And you're like, oh, this feels really, really good to be of service. Let me keep doing this because then I can keep feeling good. Yeah, absolutely. So if I were to make a suggestion on what's a barrier for entry for somebody to uh, be a champion for one thing is just to make that thing that you do public. Mm-hmm. And, and the, I think there's a, a little voice in all of our heads that say, Oh, don't do that. You're boasting or you're trying to make yourself look good or whatever. But if you're genuinely just saying, Hey, I'm doing this thing. Come on board. Mm-hmm. Whatever that thing that you're doing, if it's a dog rescue, if it's, uh, you know, going into a community service project, just make it public and let people know, Hey, you could join me. Mm-hmm. And they would say, I know Galena. And therefore I will join Galena because it, it makes me comfortable to go. And most people wouldn't do that thing because they're too worried about maybe like how they're going to operate among strangers or whatever. And I'm, and I'm no one's going to know me. I'm going to have to make all that stuff. So just try to make it simple for people. So when we did that thing for the orphanage in Mexico, the, the call to action was, I think it was like 50 bucks worth of in that neighborhood, like between 30 and 50, something like that. Um, you're going to get a, you're going to get specific gift items. Per gender, per size, per interest, actually not interest, but gender sizes. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get assigned to a child. Who would, who would say no to that? I mean, that's, uh, that's the easiest way to do it. That, that really is just such a gift, not only to the kids, but to the people participating. Cause you just said, here's the grocery list. Go do it. And for someone like me, I'm like, this is what I need. I, I need like, just go tell me what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So just make it easier for people. And do something that you're interested in that you feel like has a tangible benefit to others. Um, and, and then, and then the rest of it is just time and effort, mm-hmm. which that's the thing where people get tripped up on because once you start having to commit and follow through on that commitment, that's where, you know, but that's like anything. That's like a diet. That's like, you know, making more money at your job. That's yeah. like cleaning up your house. It's just like actually going through with the effort of it. And, and then to not let that stop you what if, if it might get a little difficult. Right. And sometimes, and it's great when people can just give um, money and, you know, sometimes you don't even have to do anything besides just like clicking on a GoFundMe or clicking on wh- whatever link and just sending some money. But not everybody has the opportunity to send a lot of money. Some people only have their time to give. Yeah. Or some people, you know, can do both. Like in my case, it was nice that I could financially donate, but like I like to actually be involved sometimes in more than just giving money. Like, Oh, totally. Um, I fostered a dog last year and it was such a cool, it was my first time doing it. That's awesome. I was like, this feels amazing. This is something I could get involved with. This is something that's time and not money because the, um, the organization Adopt and Shop, they actually are phenomenal about like sending you home with everything the dog needs. Like the, they provide the food, they provide, you know, anything you could need, medical services. So it's just a matter of time that you're giving it. And like that. Okay, so it it wow. did kill me to give the dog away. I was like crying hysterically because I had like fallen in love months that I had it. Um, but even through that experience, I was like, I would do this again because it was so hands on, and so many of the other experiences that I've had with like activism has just been throwing money at things, which yeah. is great when that's what you can do. But at the same time, like I like to try to put my foot in, in different things and be like, how does this make me feel? Like, how can I help here if I can't give money? Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head because the uh, a financial transaction will never uh, give you the same benefit as a, a heart transaction. And you don't get that without some time. Yeah. And w- without putting yourself out there from a vulnerable standpoint, because I can tell you, you right it a now, heart transaction. Uh, did I say that? Yeah, I, I guess. That's so cute. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, when you're invested w- with time, you you're leaving yourself vulnerable to be damaged. Also, like mm-hmm. let's make the mistake, like you know, and if I'm just a a mentor with kids in foster care, they can tell me no anytime they want, mm-hmm. and they have. And it's not pretty, especially when, you know, when we're on like a road trip and, you know, and things along these lines. And it's like, I'm catching, you know, massive resistance on something that like, I, I selfishly walking and going like, Hey, we're all going to have a good time together. And like, let's all like have this like fun time. And and they're still, 
wrestling with the fact that like they're counting the days because we're you know this is not you know we're going to go home in, in two two nights or whatever you know so um and to your point about your uh fostering this dog and you you know you can grow attachment and then you're going to have to give the dog up so that's that's a tough thing too um but you're not going to really have any shift of your heart and how you look at other people or or things unless you make those investments and and you you do end up getting more out out of something than than you put into it you know yeah, it's like not and it's not a cliche out of it say what like you said, you get a heart transaction out of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's not cli- it's not cliche, you know. You you do get a lot out of it. You do. Um, I uh, yeah. With with regard to, I mean, I just happen to my my thing is I think if I were to advocate for one simple one thing, I think that you know, very easy for barrier for entry. I think mentoring people in foster care, I think, is a massively tangible. It's societal impact results. I and mean, you're talking about if you do an investment that is a year, two years of time, those could be the critical years that some of these kids are choosing between gangs or not. Right. You know, and then now you're shifting the trend of their life. And, the, you know, it's just like you stop in the gap of, of whatever someone else is. In your case, the, the, the fostering dogs. Who knows what's going to happen to that dog if, if, if no one picks it up out of the shelter? I mean, you all, you can do the math on that. So it's like, you know, the fostering component, I, I just think has a lot of tangible benefits down the road that if you're like, I, you know, like for me, you know, I, Black Lives Matter, the movement of white supremacy in our country, its vicious tentacles have major implications and far reaches all over our country. How am I supposed to fix that? I can't. Mm-hmm. But what I, what's my little one area that, that I can have control over? I can have control over how it's affected, you know, my boys through their grandmother, through their great grandmother. And I can do my best, you know, where, where I'm at. And then the rest of it is, you know, I can still be involved in my legislature and, and involved in my city council and all the, all the, the rules and stuff like that. But, you know, what, what's the one to one level? Uh, interactions that that you can actually control. No, that's an amazing, crucial point because you gotta like. I could see how it just becomes so daunting if you're only participating in the legislature part of it. If you're only showing up to like massive protests, not that there's not value to like adding bodies to things like that. Every vote counts. Yada yada. But yeah. when you're getting involved with children you spending your time with a specific child or two like that is the micro level where you can actually have an immediate effect like right in front of you like i I think it's so crucial to be doing these micro level things that then don't leave you feeling helpless like oh what am i actually doing i can't see results of anything i'm trying to do yeah and and in the process we we actually I took them in their first protest and up the, and they, uh, you know, they saw everything was happening and, wow. and, um, they, they wanted to go and, and it was awesome. And then we went to a overnight to celebrate. Uh, they got, they had gotten their grades up. Mm-hmm. So we went to a hotel and we're down the beach. And then across the street was a stop the steal rally for Donald, for the, the elections for oh, no. uh, Donald Trump. And, you know, they got agitated. W- within them, you know, mm-hmm. they, they got to feel the tension of, hey, wait a minute, this election was not stolen. And, you know, to your listeners, this is not about politics right now. This was, this is just about like the reality. Well, I guess that's politics. <laughs> Anyhow, the, the election wasn't stolen. Don't hold back. My listeners are not Trumpers. I don't yeah. Um, the election wasn't stolen and there's, they, they're seeing that as a reality. Mm-hmm. They're seeing these people taking their Saturday and honking horns and going nuts and, and barking at people and, and cussing at some folks in there. And they, and they felt that tension. So we got Black Lives Matter signs and we stood across the street from them. I love that. Yeah. And then, and then they got to experience that tension in person and they got ugly fast, <laughs> like real fast. I didn't, I didn't expect it to get that vicious. And I'm not painting all Trump supporters like this, but if you're 
if it's January or February and you're holding out a stop to steal rally, like you're in a different you're in a different status of of, of person. And, and to your point, it's offensive because Black Lives Matter shouldn't be political in the first place. Yeah. And that was the point. And I, I wanted them to experience like, yo, in large part, like the second we pulled the, the sign up is when we got massive jeers mm-hmm. from that crowd. And then one guy came over and threatened, he threatened to, he, he threatened to fight the boy, one of my, the oldest boy himself. And then, and then tried to say, I'm an adult. I'll get arrested. So I'm going to have my son who's here. You're the same wow. age. You guys are going to fight. It was wild. I'd never seen anything like it, but. Kind of got derailed a little bit. You're not going to get those kind of like life experiences by writing a check. You're not going to get those life experiences by just dropping in and playing basketball every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But like really investing, you know, an overnight at time, like you know, the, the experiences that you that a kid can use to shape their their adolescence. Mm-hmm. So, what kinds of things? Um do you would you say you do on like a typical weekend with the boys? Um, I try. I mean, honestly, I try to do stuff that's you know cost. Uh, uh, what is that efficient? <laughs> um, so like, we'll uh, we just went stand up paddleboarding last. Um, uh, yeah, and it was actually very cheap. Big shouts to Dive and Surf from Redondo Beach. It was only fifteen bucks for two hours. Amazing. Yeah, with a ten dollar delivery fee. Did they so, love it so much? Uh, they really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, yeah, it was hard. They, everyone was a little sore the next day. That was kind of fun. Um, <laughs> hard. <laughs> it is kind of hard. Uh, bike rides, hikes are great. Uh, bocce ball. Bo- I've got them in a bocce ball. Okay. Um, yeah, so we'll go down to the beach and, uh, play that because you could play like on low tide. It's a very yeah. easy game to play. Um, and then I've been trying to teach them how to cook a little bit. So, uh, we'll grill, um, and in doing so, they learn that, like, it's a lot less expensive to buy food, cook it, mm-hmm. and then, and do it that way. So, and it's a valuable life skill to learn how to cook. Yeah. Yeah. We've been trying to get into that a lot lately. Um, and then now that the boys are four, twin 14 and one 16 year old, they're going to play, uh, high school football. So now we're going to start getting dirty in the weight room and, <laughs> and uh, working out a little bit. <laughs> I love that. And I don't think you should ever um, worry about the financial aspect because all the things that you listed, the fact that you're taking them out into nature, like not to be so corny, but nature is healing and it, totally. it can be a spiritual experience. Just it can be healing for them for whatever they're going through just to get outside and look at the ocean and like. I've realized about myself. It's so corny. It's so corny. But like, if I'm having a really bad day, I will drive to the ocean, even if I'm just in my car, like on PCH. It just, it like humbles the shit out of me how big the ocean is. And and that brings me out of whatever insane thing I'm like going through where I'm just like, look how big the ocean is. And like the simplicity of it, it almost makes, like, that's why it sounds cheesy, I think, because it's just so simple. You're like, that can't be true. But really to be outside, it's just, it fixes you. It like just aligns everything. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's, it's such a great point in terms of like recentering and rebalancing. And, and that's a part of the reason why, uh, I, you know, I want to take them to those places because it is different than where they're from. And, and mm-hmm. it just like opens up a different perspective. I was not laughing because, uh, I thought that it was corny at all. I was laughing because when, um, I, I first took them to the Joshua tree and, mm-hmm. I'm sitting there, we're driving around, we're seeing all these trees and my head's exploding. And I'm like, guys, look at this. This is wild. I'm like losing my mind. Mm-hmm. And like after an hour, both of the twins were like, uh, listen, Todd, man, like we are not feeling this the way that you're feeling it. <laughs> and they're like, they were just actively telling me that like this, this is not what's up. Uh, this is not doing anything to them emotionally. Like they were like, explicitly saying that like whatever things that I was experiencing, they were most certainly not feeling the same thing. This is just so funny. I mean, they're teenagers. Oh yeah. Later. (laughs) It was, I just wish I had a recorder to listen to exactly how crystal clear they made it, that they were not feeling the nature the way that I was feeling. (laughs) It's just pretty funny. They'll come around to it. I think I didn't think it was cool at those ages either. Yeah. I want to get them up to uh, like Mammoth this this summer, so they Ooh. can like really get up 
really get up in there so they can like see, sense that stuff because that stuff is pretty. I mean, you can't you can't ignore the Sierra Nevadas. Yeah, I mean, we're really really lucky to be out here with how much is in driving distance. Honestly, there was a night that I had driven out just to like Angeles National Forest, which for you is what like an hour and a half, and I saw like a meteor shower. And it was wow. like, I barely even had to leave Los Angeles. It was still LA County. And I just sat on the roof of my car and watched shooting stars go. And it was like, I mean, it was just like, I'll never forget having that experience. It was insane. That is wild. That is wild. Yeah. And, and you can't, um, you can't, ha there's, there's no, uh, museum for that. No. Yeah. So it can't be bottled. It can't be bought. It can't, you can't write a check to go, you know, take a kid to see like the redwoods or something. Totally. Yeah. It, um, it's, it, I do, I do think there's depth in the experiences big time and those kinds of things like, you know, regardless of whatever there's like going through, they, they will think back on, on those experiences and, and realize like, Hey, maybe life's not so bad, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and it's amazing that you're doing that. Cause I also think that probably, especially in a, in a case study where you have like a foster, parent or whatever it's called who is in it for the wrong reasons they're also not going to be like taking kids to stuff like they're not going to be taking them to the beach they're no. not going to be taking them to the forest like they're not that involved to go out of their way like you're going and actually give them a valuable life experience yeah no that that, that is the sad part about it and you know depending on circumstances the the, the foster child themselves are are not getting a lot much at all so you know i would say that if if somebody were to make the assumption that be, becoming a mentor, you know, what's it going to help? It even help for the foster parents who are doing it well and they're trying their best. It's a massive relief for them because they they get time to themselves and they get to recharge too. Yeah. Um. I did want to go back to the origin of how I started with this. Yes, please. Yeah. It's not at all uh, anything that I did well. Uh, it's not out of the goodness of my heart. My friend basically, you know, arm wrestled me into doing it. Uh, he, he had been involved with it, I think, to that point, up to, for about 10 years himself. Wow. And of those 10 years, he'd asked me, like, dude, you're going to love this. You totally love it. You totally love it. You should do it. And I'm like, I yeah, yeah, yeah to him for a full decade. Mm -hmm. Like, and he's one of my best friends. Like, I've, I've, I've known him since we were in middle school. Wow. And, and, uh, one year, I flaked. And then the second year I was like, I'm going, I'm going for sure. And I was a tragic planner and I had poor management with my calendar. So I book a family reunion on the East coast and then this kids camp in the same week. Oh, oops. <laughs> yeah. Big oopsie. So I ditched the camp and I'm now I'm grieved about it. And, the, and then, so now I got to wait the following year. And then that following year, I'm still on the fence. Like I'm still, I am that guy on the fence. So this is not about like, I'm some good person. I was the same dude who like couldn't, it didn't get through my head. Mm -hmm. So he basically told me two weeks before the camp starts, cause I had yet to sign up, sign up started two months in advance. Here I am procrastinating. And he goes, if you go to camp, that means three other children can go to camp just oh, to, wow. of how, of how it works. And if you don't go, those three kids have to stay home. So can you go or can you not? And that's an offer I can't refuse, you know. So once again, you know, it wasn't like I came into it with this big heart, full eyes, clear hearts, can't, can't lose. You know, it, it was more like I got wrestling. But once I was there, I got to experience what it was he had been, been dealing with for the past 10 years. I was like, Oh, I'm in. There's no, I'm in. Like, yeah. so it's one of those things where it's like, you got to show up to practice. And, you know, once you're there, it's like you get that momentum and then and then it, it carries you the rest of the way. Yeah, I could see how that would be intimidating to, like, arrive and see what it is. Um, has it happened this year yet at the camp? Uh, it's coming up in July 10th, I believe, is our first day. So oh, I'm pretty soon. That. That's awesome. Yeah. How long is it for? Uh, it's the same thing for a week. So we show up on the – actually, we show up on the 11th. The kids show up on the 12th. And then, uh, it's the week of the 12th, uh, through the 16th. And, um, yeah, this specific camp, th this is an international camp. It mm -hmm. is religious based. There are camps that are not religious based. This just happens to be, you know, uh, religious based. There's no proselytizing. We don't, you know, we're not like 
evangelizing to the kids. Yeah. Um, so, but it's, um, you know, I do like it because it does give them a, an additional layer of hope spiritually other than just, you know, people, you know, that, that love them and that care about them. So. Yeah, I'm not anti, you know, religious programs because I have too many friends who have heard all yeah. about higher power and the value of that. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, just I think the intention, when the intention is there and it's that good and it's that pure, like, have at it. Yeah. Well, but I like to preface that because, you know, I am sensitive to people's religious backgrounds mm-hmm. or their experience with, with organized religion. Yeah. It's not good for everybody. It happened to have been in my life good for me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but I am, I am very conscious of the fact that, uh, you know, church ain't been done right for everybody the whole time. Well, your awareness of that is what separates you from, say, somebody who's like an event, evangel, what is the word? Evangelist. Okay. Cause that's, cause I'm picturing like the guy who's, you know, having people call in and donate money and then he like owns the football fields, but then like doesn't help. Yeah. Like that's the affiliation that I have. So I'm like, as long as it's not that, but I also think that that group is not the type to sit there and say, I'm very aware of people's differences. As <laughs> like it's just, you're just in two different camps. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. To evangelize is essentially to, to, to share a good, a, the good word, a good message. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, it, that's gotten twisted over the years, just, just like with so many things of, of organized religion. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no, there's no organized religion with a connection with a, a child who does not have parents. That's right. a one to one spiritual relationship. And honestly, no joke. I need all the help I can get. Like the last time I, I, our last overnight with the boys, like I asked for prayer of my friends going into it. Cause I was like, I know this is going to not, this is not going to go well. Like they're teenagers now where there's going to be challenges. Uh, there always is. Um, so I need help. So I've gotten more spiritual discernment of like, Hey, this is how God looks at you, Todd, disobedient son. And you know, like he doesn't look at me like I'm disobedient. I don't want to get technical, but like, I'm looking at like, man, this is how my relationship was with God. Like, I'm just walking around super disobedient, doing my own thing, acting a fool, yada, yada, yada. So, but he's still grace and has mercy and grace for me. I need to do the same thing for the, for these boys. Mm-hmm. That's anyway. a beautiful way of looking at it. Yeah, it helps. <laughs> so how did you find out? Was it your sister, um, with the orphanage in Mexico? Cause that, is that like a yearly thing that goes on? Was that just like for Christmas? Yeah, that's a yearly thing that happens um, uh, for Christmas in specific. And there's an organization that I can uh, that I can share with you. Um, uh, I'll have to I'll have to look it up um, and get and get you the information. I love that. Um, so if people want to get involved, um, let's talk about like micro level stuff like what can people do today what can people yeah for in the long run yeah absolutely so i think the the first step for for the general public i think uh boys um sorry big brother big sister mm-hmm. they are the easiest on board if you want to be a mentor for kids in foster care okay and i, I think, think that them for the most part yep and uh they required two times a month to spend time with these, with these, okay. uh, these kids. Very doable. So, yep. There's a background check, certainly. Um, but that is probably the best, uh, case scenario for that. Um, I, I if you don't mind, I'm going to try to, um, find the, the foster care organization in Mexico. If, or sorry, the, the orphanage in Mexico. Um, Yeah, I would love to include, okay. I'll include all of this in the show notes as well. Yep. Okay, so um, there's a gentleman named Benson Bratt, B-R-A-T-T, at a childhopefoundation.org. And uh, this, this guy has an ongoing communication with eight orphanages in Mexico. So wow. it doesn't have to be Christmas. It mm-hmm. could be there's, – there's specific projects that will pop up where – they need to, uh, uh, build a new, a new dorm for, uh, an influx of children. Or there's a specific mm-hmm. need that pops up. So a childshopefoundation.org. 
uh, is, and you can, you can, uh, look up Benson Brad. He's a fundraising coordinator. It's mm-hmm. Benson at ACHF.org. So if your heart is for Mexico, um, they're all throughout, uh, Tijuana, um, and just south of the border. So it's, you know, close access. And I think with COVID restrictions lifting, you might even be able to go at some point in the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, but Big Brother, Big Sister is a, is a, is a great way. Another way that you can get involved if that is a bit too much of a commitment, um, your a local school, especially if that school is in a lower socioeconomic area, mm-hmm. um, you can ask them, Hey, how can I, uh, help some of the kids who potentially have like food insecurities over the summer? So Ooh, that's, that's really brilliant. Cause that is, I think, overlooked, massively overlooked. And it's a real need. My mom used to be a, a school administrator. Uh, she was a principal. She retired that way. And, um, yeah, it's brutal. I mean, she would tell stories all the time of, of kids first thing Monday morning, just, just absolutely, you know, eating their food so fast because they hadn't eat over, eaten over the weekend. Yeah. So if they're, not, if they're not eating over the weekend, think about how long a summer can last. But and this that's happening whole, like here in, a, in, in Los Angeles. Canada, like that's, we have those thoughts about like third world countries and it's like, it's in our backyard that that's going on. Yeah. And when you're food insecure, you're not thinking about reading. You're not thinking about no. anything. You, you're just you offering those triangle. You need those first basic levels met before you can do anything else. Basic levels. And that's a great, great onboarding because then you can, you know, figure out even in that school, what are some areas that some of the kids in the area, you know, need. They might not be in foster care, but there could be a program that, that you could help out in that respect. But when you start to reduce trauma points mm-hmm. and when you start to let the kid know that they're, they're cared for, then their perception of society, their perception of themselves starts to shift. Yeah. And then they, you know, you could affect, you know, their behavior going forward just from something as, as kind as like, Hey, we're not going to let you go hungry. And this is in Los Angeles. <laughs> Rural, wherever your listeners are, I can assure you that there's a, there's a school that's low, low income enough to where the kids are on school lunch. And if those kids are on school lunch, then they're not on school nothing uh, in the summertime. Yeah, that's a really good point. Definitely communities all over the country, all over the world, I'm sure, because every once in a while I open those stats and people are listening somewhere else. And I'm like, there's things for you guys to do to get involved wherever you live. Totally. Totally. Yeah. But, uh, to your point about when you, when you take that step out, you are getting something in return and and it's a a spiritual touch point, um, of, of physical, spiritual, it it makes you feel better. And even if that's how, even if you start off with, with that, I'd rather do that than, um, than nothing. Yeah. You don't want to focus on your own problems. Go focus on somebody else. It'll do for you. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, I should let the listeners know that Glena is a hilarious comic, and she- well, they know Todd. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, wouldn't, they wouldn't come here. I <laughs> love it. Subscribe to this podcast. We don't. We don't. We didn't get to talk much about the fact that we know each other through comedy. But uh, I miss leg day. I miss going to open mics with you. Oh, I miss leg day so much. I just brought it up yesterday. So I'm back out into open mics, like in-person open mics over the last Oh, nice. Week. And last night was my first time going to two-in-one night since the Ooh. before pass. <laughs> I know I pulled one of those and the second one that I went to was like in a backyard and I'm walking up the driveway with uh Lynn Molly I don't know if you remember her from leg day but I was like this reminds me of leg day I wish that that space would come back I don't know what's going on with that building or that mic but I miss it so much I that leg day was my my entrance into really trying to be funny in Los Angeles yeah and uh I, I I would drive uh, I would get off work and it would take me an hour and a, sometimes an hour and a half to go do my little five minute set. Yeah. Cause you've like always been in South Bay, right? Since yeah. I, but I'm in Echo Park now. So, oh, you know, Hey, come, come at me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was a, it was, I felt like I belonged with, so you know, the people who are funny, there's funny people at that mic. Mm-hmm. You know, are you uh, back out? By only, you had to sign up and someone had to invite you. Oh, yeah. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I was well, I've, uh, I haven't, I haven't really been super active lately. 
Um, this new day job I have is occupied a lot of my time, but yeah, I, um, I've gotten, I've gotten up a bunch of times and anyway, I, it's still really fun to, to, to tell, to do stand up. It is. It, it never, I missed it so much. And now that it's coming back, I feel like it was gone for a year. It, it's just so second nature that I, the first time I walked into the improv after all this, I was like, I, I can't believe I haven't set foot in here. And it, it, it just, it's like riding a bike. You're just like, oh, it this is. has always been here for me. Totally. Yep. Absolutely. Well, that's I so appreciate you taking the time. And I feel like this is really educational. And I think that we've, um, we're going to put together some resources. I'm going to put some links in the show notes. I'm going to put that email address and hopefully people can get involved in whatever way they see fit. Amazing. I am honored that you uh, have me as a guest. Uh, it's very humbling. And uh, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you doing this. Is there anything else you want to plug? Um. Yeah, so I would say, um, I'm just gonna say it. I'm gonna have, I'm, I'm rolling out a, a nonprofit, uh, in the next couple months, um, that is going to be, um, give people an opportunity that even if you can't, um, directly be involved in the kid's life, that you could, uh, pr- offer an experience or a, uh, or your, I never mind. Never mind. It, it's, unless, I'll unless keep it, an eye out for it. And yeah, yeah, when yeah. When you do roll it out, I will promote it. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Todd. Thank you. Good to see Talk you. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. bye.